Welcome to the Finding Refuge podcast. My name is Michelle Cassandra Johnson, and I am glad you're here. The Finding Refuge podcast emerged from a desire to have conversations about the intersection of grief and liberation. This podcast explores how we can find refuge during unsettling and uncertain times. It features guests from various backgrounds, lineages, and lived experiences. I hope you enjoy listening. I am so honored to bring you today's interview with Ariella Daly. Ariella is someone I consider to be one of my B teachers and has definitely deepened my relationship with the honeybees. Ariella Daly is a natural beekeeper, dream weaver, and teacher living in Northern California. Devoted to the bee in both the physical world and the spirit world, she synthesizes natural beekeeping, animism, dream work, and earth activism through writing workshops and teaching. Her work with the bee came through a lifelong interest in human connection with the non-human world. She is trained in European animistic folk tradition with the bee and the serpent as its central motifs. Within this tradition, she is versed in the healing and seership modality known as the pollen method. Her work is a fusion of her love for the natural world and embodied womb-centric practices. Ariella seeks to foster a deeper relationship between humans and the natural world through honey, bees, and sees the bee as a bridge species between our domestic lives and the wild, both within and around us. She is a lover of wild places, liminal spaces, and the song of the land. I hope you enjoy this magical interview. So welcome, Ariella, to the podcast, and thank you for being here with me today and saying yes to being a guest on the podcast. And we have never met in person, but I some I think on social media I saw um, a post um, it would have been in the springtime about a three-part series you were teaching about the honeybees, and I signed up for it, which is rare for me because I'm very particular about the spaces I'm in and who I learn from, and I was just taken um, by you in that space in what you were offering and, the, and your reverence for the honeybees and the way you talked about tending bees and a connection uh, with the earth as well. And so, which those things are intertwined. So after that, I like signed up for everything and, and just wanted to learn more from you. And um, just want to take a moment to thank you for the gifts you offer to the world and the way that you hold space and teach. And from what I know, the way you practice and tend the bees and many other things. So just wanted to say that to you. Wow, thank you. That was a meaningful and beautiful um, welcome into this this chat we're having. And I, I'm working on really letting those things land within me, but I also just have to turn towards 
the bees because I always think when someone says I signed up and I don't really know why, you know, like, oh, well, there you go. It's the bees. They just call us in and they have all these synchronistic ways of doing it. So thank you to the bees and thank you for such a beautiful welcome in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Of course. Yes. Thank you to the bees for sure. Um, and I'd love for you to share some about who you are and your offerings um, to the world and anything you want to share about what's present or alive for you, which is, these are kind of like four different questions, but however you want to answer or begin is really the prompt. I came into this world with an unusually strong love affair from a very young age with nature and the natural world. I could never have predicted that would have led me to bees, uh, but I did. it did. Here I am. And I, I've kind of held this through line through my work that what we're here to do beyond, you know, saving the planet or um, all of the various ways that we need to respond to the multitudes of intersectional crises we're in right now and, and whatnot, one of the things is to be re-enchanted and fall in love with the earth, which includes ourselves and includes our bodies because we are made of the earth. We are the earth. I often say the, the phrase, we are the earth dreaming, that the earth is a consciousness that dreamt us into being and we are actively participating in what all of it is in conjunction and in concert with other beings on this earth. So my, I know that sounds kind of lofty, but, but really I'm just, I'm interested in this bridge. I'm interested in this eco-psychology approach to how we can interact with what we perceive as nature, as other, as animal. And in doing so, learn more about ourselves, but more specifically, learn more about relating. I'm very interested in relationship. And so my work seeks to cultivate that. On the surface, I look like a, a natural beekeeper or a bee-centric beekeeper, which is its own thing, its own explanation. But the short of it is moving away from the commercial model influenced by late-stage capitalism and mechanization coming from the industrial growth model, whoo, lots of big words, into uh, be tending or interacting with a species with the species in mind first and not the human gain. It doesn't mean that we don't also gain, but what we gain might look different. It might not be mass pollination of almond fields or almond orchards. Um, that might change, need to change, has to change actually, uh, but we might gain relationship to the bees. We might gain a deeper relationship to the seasons, to the sense of place, to a sense of our own belonging, to the sense of the immediate community, to literally what's happening in the soil, in our backyard, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You, know, you find with so many things, I find this to be very true with nature, but I'm sure it goes in, in all directions that anywhere you go deep, you start to find universal truths and you start to find intersection on so many areas, in so many areas. So that's a big piece of my work. I'm also deeply enchanted with folklore and myth. 
and seeking to find the places of reenchantment within my own heritage and within the, the European diaspora in the sense that I, I really do see a lot of sort of um, spiritual floundering happening in the modern era and in the United States, for instance, where there's this like, what is it and where do I, like, how do I reference my own sense of spirituality in relationship to the animate earth? I'm talking about specifically people who are looking for earth-based spirituality um, seeing the earth as a, as a sentient being, for instance, and then, you know, not wanting to appropriate, not really sure where to go. So I'm very interested in what we can find about animism, about indigenous knowledge based in, you know, my, my history and heritage. So Celtic, predominantly Germanic, Slavic. Um, and then of course, I have a strong interest in, um, the bee culture, which has a lot of, uh, you could say, historical texts. You could, you could you could say there's a big there's a big area of bee knowledge and bee connection in ancient Greece. So I study uh, ancient Greece culture, very much interested in pre-patriarchal, pre-Olympian ancient Greece, you know, pre-Christian Ireland, England, Brittany etc cetera, etc cetera. what what were the people doing when they were living closer to the earth and how might we learn from that so those are so some of the areas that really drive me and help kind of reconnect our sense of belonging to the earth thank you for sharing some about who you are and what you're interested in and enchanted by and curious about and i'm i'm curious to know what because it sounds like you came in to this incarnation of yourself with the, some of this curiosity. And so I'm curious to know, and that perhaps that was reinforced. And I'm wondering what helped reinforce your desire to support us in becoming re-enchanted and um, in remembering we are, we are nature. Like there actually is no separation between us and nature in a world that I feel like teaches us that we are separate, right? And individuals when that's in fact not not true. So I'd just love to hear about some of your the influence around that. I grew up in the countryside. That helps. I grew up picking up rocks, looking for little like red racer snakes and watching butterflies drink water from puddles and seeing deer herds gallop, like, galloping through if they gallop, I don't know, run through. <laughs> Um, just that like big exuberant mass of, de of a deer herd running through the backyard. So that was very influential in my formative years before I moved to town at the age of five. But truly what cultivated it was, um, you know, I had, I have and had pretty great parents and, um, my mother is an educator and has devoted a tremendous amount of her time as an educator to, uh, learning through nature nature awareness. Uh, so that was, you know, camping trips, um, going out, going on hikes, just getting out there. So I get that side from her and she's very intrepid. You know, at 70, she walked 2000 mile, 200, whatever, big, big amount. She walked across England at 70 with a backpack. Um, and then the other side would be my, my father who brought in 
I don't even know if he knew he was doing this consciously, but he just brought in the bard. He brought in the Celt in him, in his lineage, and he would tell us stories. He would make up mythic stories. He would always share his dreams. He taught me to share my dreams. He was a avid dreamer and I would say a prophetic dreamer. He fully supported my spiritual seeking and they met overseas. My parents met, um, you know, they're both from the States, but they met in Japan and then they traveled down to Peru. They traveled all over Europe. They spent a couple of years living in South America and they brought with them from the get-go friends and family from different places around the world. So my whole childhood was filled with you know, they were very into music too. So a band would come up from, uh, from Brazil and stay with us for a week. And then another band would come in from Russia and stay with us and perform in our local town. And I was learning to play instruments that, you know, they, they weren't, you know, I was learning to play the Kena, for instance, from, from the Andean flute first before any other, you know, classical instrument. And when you're infused at a young age with that kind of rich cultural interest and heritage from many different cultures. I I think that really shapes a form of curiosity and openness to what I would say, like all the different pathways that people find and and create and travel to come to connection and community and relating. And, um, and I just love it. I love seeing synchronicities of overlap. Oh, this culture has this myth. Well, this myth also shows up over here in this culture. And this musical instrument is in this culture. And here's something very similar and interesting. They are also, they're also both worked with in funerary rites and, 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 you know, and that none of that really shows up in my like direct offerings in my, in my work, but it's infused into what I do. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And you just said none of it shows up d- directly in your work, but it's infused with it. And I definitely feel that. I mean, I haven't been in space with you a ton, but in this time that I've spent with you in spaces you've been holding and teaching and offering, I've definitely felt that openness and the importance of relationship and connection and the intersections, even as we have different lived experiences, that sort of intersections around that. So I felt that infusion in your practice and work. And I know you you mentioned your parents and I know from your newsletter and from social media that your father transitioned this summer, I think. And I just, one, I wondered if you would share his name with us, if you are willing to call him into the space in that way. And I know because I've just been reading your social media, like that you've been writing about the grief and um, the presence of it. And also you've written before about the bees helping you or coming to you during times of grief. And I'm wanting to know if you're willing to share some of how you're doing and how you're traversing this process of grieving and also if the bees are and or how the bees are supporting you Mm. lots of questions i guess yeah lots of questions lots of answers how does this want to begin my father is named john michael daly and um he was a mystic and loved being a father 
and loved raising three daughters. And his last year was was truly, truly. I mean, I'm going to use a, a strong word. It was it was horrific. It was horrific to witness that level of suffering in one body and mind. And the suffering was so much in both body and mind. And he had pancreatic cancer. And I was both blessed with and um, traumatized by being present at his death, being by his side, which is such an honor. We were all there. We are all sitting, not sitting, we were standing around his bed in the hospital, not the hospital, in our house, hospice. And was struggling with breathing and if you've ever been around death at that final stage it's it's not um nothing nothing like the movies which you know you know and you hear but then when you're in it okay it's kind of like like birth too nothing like the movies and i had just given birth the year before in fact he was given a diagnosis of 12 weeks to live at the time my my daughter was four months three months old and uh you know she was a year and a half when he passed. So they had a chance to be um, constellating for a moment together. And these beautiful ships of, of tremendous love uh, coming into and leaving my life which was pretty profound. So she was there too. And she was in the room uh, toddling around and her little self saying, um, hello, 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 hello to whoever and whatever was in the room with us in that moment. But it was very clear that she was saying hello. And we gave him permission. I, I, my father was always deeply enchanted with the stars. And it happened to be a day when six planets had lined up. And I told him that. I told him there is a star road for him to follow. And um, I don't talk about it a lot. Woo! There's the emotion. Um, and he did. He just, he took three deep breaths, one tear down his cheek and just left to the point where we were shocked. We couldn't believe it was real, that it had actually just happened. We all just sat there silently like he must just be sleeping, but he wasn't. And um, it was truly, truly incredible. And the amount of grace that filled me at that time was profound. I was able for the next day to be so present with his body. I ringed his body with flowers and I washed him with our neighbors. No one else in the family could, could handle it. Um, I addressed him in the kimono my mother brought down that, that she met him in from Japan. Um, and then that night I had a asthma attack for the first time in my life. And since then, I've been working with so many different modalities to try to address this, what feels like inherited somatic illness that was my dad's primary issue throughout his life was asthma. And here I am tending to his body and just, you know, you really get that biomimicry, that, that in ancestral inherited thing that we passed down. I just took it right on and... I'm a new mom and I'm trying to navigate this, this thing. So beautiful, horrible, all at the same time. Um, I'm, I'm really working with that. And, and I'm, it's interesting that you ask like, <coughs> excuse me, there it is. Uh, how do, how are the bees helping? Um, the bees 
were the primary, what I might call like, well, the primary healers. They were the primary healers physically, mentally, and spiritually over uh, 13 years ago when I had a, um, a miscarriage that was quite traumatic and involved a hospitalization. And they, that's when I started beekeeping. The bees came to me about a week later. I caught my first swarm and tending to them and being present with them and getting to mother something was um, profoundly healing, deeply re-embodying because there's some part of you that, you know, can sort of check out of your body when you go through a trauma, trauma or grief, or you know, the part of me that wanted to follow that, that soul back to wherever they came from. Uh, so the bees absolutely, you know, retrieved me from some liminal in between purgatory that I was in at that time in my life. And I've been very devoted to them ever since, because I've seen the true impact of, and I don't even want to say this on like a spiritual level, but on a very physical level, because spirit doesn't do a whole lot if we can't be embodied with it. We got to bring it into the body. We're here right now. What an honor. What a pleasure to be a human, even with pain, even with all the suffering. So the, the beekeeping, being with bees requires a tremendous amount of presence and you just can't really, it's like equine therapy. You can't bring all your stuff into the room, so to speak. You can't be sitting there angry or freaking out or full of anxiety. They will tell you. And so if you do show up with some of that um, intensity, they'll kind of, they'll bump you. Usually sometimes you'll get a sting, but usually they give you some warning. They'll sort of like call you to task. They'll bring you into presence and then beyond that, there's this sort of enigmatic, mysterious, like they're so fascinating, the way they interact, the way they move, the way they communicate is mesmerizing. And it, it absolutely grabs you and pulls you in. So there would be these periods of time where I wasn't thinking about everything that had happened. And I wasn't, I suddenly wasn't dizzy. I had a lot of physical side effects from that, that trauma as well. And, and I was just so with these physical beings, I would lie under the hive and listen to their hum and sit with them. And, you know, slowly found out over time that these were actually really common folk practices to sit with the bees, to talk to them, to tell them what was going on. A huge, long history of that in the, in the, you know, folkloric practices um, in the Americas and in Europe, and I'm sure in other places. And then, you know, here I am now with this second major moment of transition, came in thinking, I got this. I, I have such a good relationship with, with death and life and cycles, and I can handle this. And I've been prepared for it for a long time, and it just hit me sideways. I thought I was going to be able to deal with my dad's death a lot better than I did. And um, I have not looked to the bees. So interestingly, right before our conversation today, I was talking to someone who has been doing, as came out of the blue, he approached me to talk about some of his interests in bees. And it turns out he's been doing apotherapy, which is um, a form of health and therapy with bees, specifically with uh, inhalation of the volatile oils and scents from within the hive. So breathing the, the hive around asthma. 
It's like, of course, they're the bees. And it just came in so loud. I'm like, hello, <laughs> work with us. <laughs> we have propolis, which is so healing. Honey is so healing. It's just like, we're here. We heal in other ways. You don't have to be in the hive to experience everything we are and everything we have to offer. And it, it was sort of like, oh, my darling, come on back. We're, we're still here. So that's what I'm with. That's what I'm sitting with today. Thank you for sharing your father's name and spirit and sharing some about your journey with grief. And I really heard you when you said, you know, I, I thought I would handle this better. And I'm kind of like, what, how do we handle grief? You know, like, I don't know, there's not really a handbook. There are books written about it, but there's not like a, I think, I think a lot about, um, I don't know what I'll do until I'm in the moment, like faced with the thing, right? I think I know what I'll do, but then I really, I actually don't know until it's happening, um, especially something like grief or something intense as a process that perhaps I've never faced before or don't have me a memory of, of having faced before. So I just wanted to reflect that back that I don't, I don't know if there's a way to do this. I think we're right. trying to like figure it out as we go. That's my experience of life, but also I think specifically grief. Um, mm. And interestingly enough, I have asthma. <laughs> so you're also, it's your second conversation with someone today who has asthma. I've had it since I was four years old and both of my parents, my father's deceased, but both of my parents, um, my mom has asthma. My father had asthma as well. Um, and I recently lost my hives in a cold snap that was, it was just unseasonably cold for North Carolina where I live. Um, and I was listening to you talk about your father and the hive, one of the hive boxes um, body is still there. Um, we were going to dismantle it and then didn't. And then bees started coming to it. And they've been coming to it every day. It's been when it's been warm enough for them to visit. And I've been going out to sit with it. And it's been a really um, sit with them and the hive. Uh, interesting process to know that the hive that was in there, the bees are not in there, but the wax is in there. There was some nectar. Mm -hmm. um, propolis is in there. Um, and um, of course, their vibration, I feel like, and energy is wow. there. And the the it's been interesting to like interact and know that that hive is not in there, but parts of them are, and these other bees are coming to interact. And I was like, what a gift to witness like this death and life cycle and ongoing cycle in this way. And, and when you named that, the person you spoke to earlier is working with the volatile compounds um, from the hive. I've been going up to the, their entrance of the hive and like breathing it in and sort of looking in um, to see what's going on. So it's yeah. just present to that and just thinking about the endless lessons that the bees, I feel like, um, share with us. They don't always make sense to me because I'm not a honeybee, but they I'm like ready, right, to try to make yeah. meaning or understand what might be happening if there's something that they want to reveal to me in real time or in dream time. So appreciate you, you sharing and that the bees are like, come back. Like that was part of the message mm -hmm. you received today, it sounds like. You know, your story reminds me of this, just this, this way of when we soften just a little bit and open up to other possibilities we start to see other stories unfolding. So an example would be 
in the beekeeping world, I know you know this, but I'll, I'll say it just for listeners. There's um, something called robbing where you have a hive and then other bees, sometimes wasps, but let's work with other honeybees. So other honeybees, and these are going to be the female bees who are out there looking for food. And maybe it's a time of year where there isn't a lot. Maybe it's during the late summer and it's a dearth, meaning there's not a lot of nectar. They might find another hive that's defenses aren't so big, aren't so great. Maybe that hive is dwindling. Maybe they're dealing with a disease, whatever it is. And they'll go in and from an outsider perspective, it quite aggressively, all of a sudden, just completely, quote unquote, attack, take over and rob out all of the honey from that hive. And from a beekeeping perspective, that's harsh. We're, well, there, our, our hive is dying. That's being robbed out by these other bees. We have to stop it. How awful. That's what we're taught. And yeah, there might be times where you feel like, I, actually, I do need to stop this. But I think the work of Jacqueline Freeman and her book, um, The Song of Increase, really touches on this beautifully. There's another thing happening. And I think it has to do with this in, inherent intelligence in nature that isn't so individualistic. So we have this idea of this, this one hive, this one individual, and this other individual that's from another hive made up of a number of bees because it's a superorganism. They come and they destroy, take away, steal, kill this other hive. But what if this other quote unquote robbing hive is coming in and supporting midwifing a death process that is already in occurrence, but we as humans haven't fully seen it. We haven't totally seen it to its end. And so this hive that's in, in its death process, of course, they're going to still try and defend themselves and whatnot. But at the same time, again, just softening our gaze a little bit. There's also this offering now of honey and pollen, mostly honey, to this other hive that might be the thing that gets them through the winter and helps them survive and then swarm and create a stronger, what we call survivor stock in the region, perhaps, 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 perhaps. So it's just a shifting of how we perceive what is, you know, death and life and birth within a hive. It's, it's not so linear after all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that you just shared that and, and explain that to listeners too. And, and just the offering around perspective and the way we make meaning and the practice of broadening perspective or being open to some other story unfolding than our, like my impression of what's happening. I'm not a bee. I don't actually know what's happening, but what if something else is happening, yeah. even being with that. And I think this experience with this hive has, has really, it's, it's like death and life all at the same time. And I'm like, Oh, right. that's always in at play. Like that is what we're experiencing all the time. I'm dying yeah. right now. Like I'm aging. I'm not always going to be here in this incarnation right. with the, like the stark contrast of that um, physically has, it's just, I feel like a gift to witness. Um, so yeah, I, I hear you about the softening and the opening and, and I, I'm curious to know, like, because that feels like a, part of what we are being asked to do at this time on the planet <laughs> as, mm -hmm. as we're maybe aware of death and life in a different way. I don't know if it's different. It feels intense for me. Um, mm. And when I'm in space with people, it feels pretty intense for them too. This awareness of what's happening or the climate crisis for sure. We can feel that in our bodies and ourselves. I would love to hear some about 
the softening you just named or the or perhaps the skills that we need from your perspective to practice at this time because we're midwifing something i don't know if we're what it is i don't know if it's if it's death i don't know if it's death and life i don't know what it is because i'm not in charge of this but i i do know we're midwifing something and i am um if that makes sense or resonates curious to know like what do we need to be able to midwife this transition we're in that's what i'll say mm. you just used one of my very favorite words to describe what's going on midwifing interestingly midwifing in bilingo in the folklore that i'm versed in is uh, is it's heavily associated with bees in fact um, you know, in Celtic mythology, German mythology, Greek mythology, bees are often seen as like being or carrying the soul into or out of incarnation. Um, there's a reason why bees are often depicted on gravestones, next as an example, that's been passed down over the eons. And, you know, many of the Greek, for instance, just to, to pull from one thread, Greek goddesses that were, um, you know, pre-patriarchal, pre-Olympian, were the, the ones that were specifically associated with midwifery, birth, were, were often called bee or associated with bee, such as Artemis, who was much more than the Artemis we know today as the twin sister to Apollo. Um, Artemis is lady of the beasts, Artemis is the midwife, Artemis is the bee. So I just think that's an interesting side note. Your question was, oh boy, now I got to find it again. Um, it was long. It was about midwifing this transition and what skills yeah. we need. That was the Thank essence you. of it. Thank you. Yeah. I have so many thoughts on that. I don't want to presume that I have the answer to that. I would like to think that perhaps I have a couple of roads to travel down as some of the modalities through which we can address that. And I think it's really important that we all sort of listen to our own inner guidance about what's, what's true and what we need personally. One of the things I find really helpful is working with this, first, first and foremost, this concept that we are not separate from nature, that we are nature. And within that, I actually do a lot of work with dreams. It's a big area that I work in. And it's also a big part of the uh, animistic folk tradition that I've been trained in based out of, uh, out of the UK uh, that, that focuses on be, what we might call bee animism or bee shamanism. Um, although I'm really working to shift over to the word animism for many reasons um, in terms of like appropriation of, of language with the word shaman or shamanism. So within that there we do a tremendous amount of dream work but there's this idea and I, I think you would find this and do find this in other other cultures that we we are the earth dreaming that we are the consciousness of the earth and that the earth is always evolving we are always evolving we actually know now that uh, it was very likely that bees themselves helped our human brains evolve quite literally through through diet with eating products of the hive uh, way back when, when we became homo sapiens. So we're always evolving. And 
we're at this this crux point and I, I find it helpful to remind myself that yes, we're at the the great dismemberment time. Yes, we're midwifing. And do we know how long? No. Do we know when it started? No. If we look back, maybe a very, very long time from now as humans, if humans are still around, we might be able to say, oh, this was the period of, but we don't get to say whether that period started in the 1970s and ends in the 2030s, probably not, or whether it started at the fall of Rome and ends, you know, like it's this period of time, this, this, and it's escalated, it's, it's speeding up. And a lot of us are kind of looking out at the horizon, feeling like, oh God, the end is nigh. And and not just for us, but for the oceans, for the soil. And it's it's absolutely overwhelming and heartbreaking and touches on a collective grief that's shared by other beings and consciousness on the planet and is not readily addressed, um, is not individual. And is very animal, very in the bones. You already said it. You know, we can feel it in ourselves, and it, and yet we are so um, we're so disconnected from from ourselves as the earth, ourselves as nature, ourselves as interconnected and interdependent with the natural cycles. Um, and so, finding our way back to that. I think is incredibly important. And there are a few ways I like to do that. One of them is just starting to reconnect with my actual senses, just being with my day, with my senses. Where was I enchanted by sound? Where did sound, where was sound abrasive? Where did I notice sound in nature? Where did I notice, um, like, where was the scent of the wind with me? It just, even in a city, even there's so much, so much life happening beyond the human life in a city. So sensate experience, dreaming, dreaming with this idea that I was starting to touch on that perhaps if we are the earth dreaming, if we are part of the earth's consciousness becoming, visioning, dreaming, perhaps the sense of fixed reality gets a little loosened and perhaps we can dream a different thing into being, you know, similar to the Einstein idea of, of, you know, you can't solve the problem with the same thinking or the same tools system that thought it created it. So we have to look to other ways. And if we look to various indigenous cultures and earth-based traditions, dreaming is so paramount in finding the way that the mind can't. I think, I think that's one of the ways we start to soften is to reconnect with this very fluid, liminal, creative, mythic aspect of ourselves and ask our dreams to show us new ways. At first it's for our own lives, but then it starts to be for more. You know, it's important to recognize that we also need healing in a personal level before we just jump into the collective thing. And I, I've taken a lot from Joanna Macy's work, especially her book, World as Lover, World as Self, and her teaching around how important it is to feel and move past the apathy, that apathy is one of the first responses when confronted with this level of ecological turmoil and destruction. And that's where we can easily get stuck. And that's where we often stay on a cult, where we are on a cultural level in many ways. And to get past apathy, we have to feel the grief. And to get past the grief, we have to feel the container. So 
some of it is just letting ourselves be with the land, letting ourselves cry because a tree gets cut down, letting ourselves notice what's blooming when. These are little things, but it's this daring to love bigger. It's daring to love more, daring to love the magnolia tree in front of your house as if it could love you back, you know, as if, as if you two are in a relationship, which is really not taught in our modern society. So we really have to stretch our imagination, daring to think, believe, feel, recognize that maybe that red tail hawk at the top of the redwood tree isn't just a red tail hawk, but a resident who lives in the same neighborhood as you, who sees you too, has clocked you exist and you're clocking them. Oh, there you are. There's that same red tail up in the tree. Suddenly you're not just alone paying rent or paying a mortgage. You're part of this greater thing that's happening. It's, it's simple, but it's really, um, it's a, it's a, it's a way of shifting attention. Mm-hmm. I wanted to thank you for, for sharing about nature in the way you did and, and engaging with nature like a, a love affair, right? In the way that you spoke about. And in the spring, I took a sabbatical, well, from May through the end of July. And I spent most of my time in my yard watching things bloom. Mm-hmm. And one day I was outside and I saw the earth moving. And for some reason, I didn't. it didn't occur to me it was an earthworm. <laughs> I was like, am I hallucinating? This earth is the earth, the dirt's moving. What's going on? And I was like, I sort of looked around to see if anyone else could see what I was seeing, but it was just me. And then I saw the earthworm reveal itself. And and I was like, I was slowed down enough during that sabbatical time to notice that. Whereas like normally I would have just walked past and not seen the dirt move and been curious about how it was happening. And then like engaged with this earthworm or the dahlias in the yard or the hawks or the crows that I say hello to almost every day. And so what you shared really resonated about um, our healing, I think individually and collectively and that engagement that we need to have and that practice of I love you. There's Jasper. He can just be on the recording and, and maybe you love me back. Like, and the level of compassion, I feel like that, that takes and asks us to tap into. So I was really struck by, by that, that sharing and, and what you feel like we need to midwife at this time and our way I don't know if we're moving through the transition. I don't know what we're doing, but like (laughs) we are, I feel like we have an opportunity to midwife in the way that you named, which requires us to get back to this reality that and theme. I feel like that's come up several times around the truth that we are nature. Um, And that, that level of compassion and love feels like it's also what you named about grief. Like when I tap into the earthworm, I'm also connecting with the the like amount of grief around what we're doing to the planet. Or when I lose a hive, right? To seven yeah. because it was seven degrees and it's never seven degrees here. It's like this. I'm not just grieving the body of that hive and their energy because they still feel like they're here spiritually for sure. But I'm like grieving what and you wrote this to me. I know we emailed grieving like what led to that and the climate and the like the how chilled to the bone I felt when it was seven degrees and felt like this isn't natural what we're doing. So I just appreciate the like all the offerings around what 
our perspective, the softening, what we um, have an opportunity to remember is often how I think about this. And what's many of these things are rooted in, in earth-based practices, to your point, and in indigenous practices. So it really is a process of remembering. It feels, feels that way to me. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's in all of us. It's in, it can get reinvented a thousand times, but it's just, it's in us because we are, we're animals. <laughs> we are, we're very creative and, and full of imagination and we can come up with it, find it again and again. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, I lost a hive for the other reason this year. I lost a hive after an, a, a heat spike that was so prolonged and, and so like 110 degrees, not okay. Doesn't not okay. It's just, so I get it. I really do. Yeah. yeah. And what we're doing that is not okay or not natural, right? Yeah. Like, and how much right. we're sort of outside of that. I have one more question, which is about dreaming. And I know you've talked some about dreaming today, actually in many different ways. And I'm curious to know what you're, what you're um, dreaming um, right now, either during dream time or like waking time, like what are you calling into being is one way to think about this question. Or if there's something you want to share about dream time, of course you can. That's my, my question. Good Good one. I like that question. A few things I've been in a very kind of pregnant pause, you could say, um, waiting, just waiting and waiting for the next thing to show itself. But, um, one of the things that's come through for me is collaboration I'm really feeling, I think, you know, losing my father and going through the isolation of new motherhood and pandemic and transition from the, you know, major friend community of my twenties and early thirties into everybody sort of scattered. I, I'm just ready for collaboration. Um, I'm a fiercely independent person and I'm really ready to set down that mantle and kick collaborate. So I'm calling that in, dreaming that up. I have a, a very personal dream to finally write um, the book that's churning through my brain. And dreaming is doing an interesting thing with me right now. My dreams are cycling back to a theme and a body of work that I began and didn't finish at the beginning of 2020. And so, you know, there's that collective trauma that we went through. There's that dis- this this rupture and disruption. And um, in that time, I became a mother, um, which healed a deep, deep, deep wound in me, and also like created a whole new level of anxiety that I didn't know I could carry in my body. Um, and uh, and I'm just I'm just revisiting, and it it's it's tied to creativity and love. So those are the things, you know, literal love, like good old fashioned human love. So, you know, as vulnerable as that is, I have to be able to start saying it if I'm going to, you know, let it move through my dreams and influence what's next. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, apparently grief and love are, are related deeply, deeply related because it keeps coming up. It sounds, I know it sounds cheesy sometimes. We're like, well, we really have to fall in love with ourselves and fall in love with the world and fall in love. These are profound and simple truths. But I think it does come back to if you could court the idea that a tree might love you back, it's actually a tremendously profound act of belief in self and self love 
to even be open to the idea that a tree or a deer or a rosemary bush might see you and love you for you existing. Mm-hmm. It doesn't sound cheesy to me at all. And it sounds like deep practice and deep work yeah. um, for sure, because of, of the process of allowing oneself to be seen and to believe, you know, for one to believe they are lovable. Right. Like that's uh, some deep work. So I hear you and, and appreciate you sharing your, your dreams. Um, Often I like to ask people in some way about dreaming or a wish they have or a prayer that I ask people to share because I feel like in my own practice, when I share these things, they're held by more than just me. It's like not inside it's outside and people can hold it and hear it and help me or us dream these things into being. So thank you for sharing and for all of your offerings in the world and the offerings to come and um, for your practice and your work and your compassion and love and your um, relationship and love affair with the earth and the bees and nature spirits. And thank you for talking about your grief so vulnerably in this space with me and just for spending time with me what a gift and honor so thank you thank you as well thanks for such thoughtful profound questions and you know the gift of kindred relating i i always appreciate that um i just want to say to all of you in parting words for those listening i I think i think i do have a bigger prayer now that you're sharing that and it's just that may may we all start to continue continue the journey of community because that is one of the biggest most profound teachings of the bees, what it is to be an organism working together, a number of individuals coming together for a greater whole, really profound teaching to witness in the hive. So I'll send that out on the wings of this podcast. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Ariella. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Finding Refuge. If you are enjoying the podcast, I encourage you to share it with friends and family members and to rate it on iTunes. In addition to sharing about this podcast, you can support my work in the world by becoming a patron on Patreon. You can find me there as Michelle C. Johnson, Skill in Action, Yoga and Social Justice. I offer monthly movement and meditation practices as well as a monthly divination reading. Lastly, I want to share that I have a new book coming out in April of 2023. We Heal Together, Rituals and Practices for Building Community and Connection. It is currently available for pre-order and you can go to the Penguin Random House website Search Michelle Johnson or We Heal Together and pre-order my book. There are several spaces you can pre-order it from. Thank you so much and take care.